So if, if, you don't, if you don't know us, we've, we've been here in, in uh, Utah for, for about eight months, and it's May. I don't know if you realize that, but yesterday was April 30th, and we live uh, at like 9125 South and at 2800 East, and so yesterday morning, how many inches of snow did that equal? That equaled about eight inches of snow on the deck, and uh, I was up early yesterday, and I was working on some emails and some stuff for this morning, and Crystal woke up around 6.45, and uh, she, she woke up, and she came down the hall towards the kitchen, and the windows were open, and you know, you're just rubbing that, you know, yesterday she was rubbing the snow out of her eyes, not the sand, so she was rubbing the snow out of her eyes, and she looked out the window, and she said, no way. No way. And uh, she said, is there any chance that we're going to have a campus in San Diego? Because that's where we need one. <laughs> How many more times is there going to be eight inches of snow? I love it. That is awesome. The, the thing that I take great refreshing from, though, is that all of you who live here all the time are also saying, when is this madness going to stop? <laughs> so, so that's good. Hey, it's good to be with you this morning. My name's Lad, and uh, if you missed the opener or you missed the welcome, I'm our South Campus pastor, and it's really good to be with you. I'm not up here all that often, and so there's lots of you, to be honest, that I just, I don't know. I know there's some of you I should know, and when I see your face, I'm always like, oh, can you please tell me your name again? Um, thank you so much for having me, and thanks for the privilege of bringing God's Word to you this morning. Uh, we are thrilled with all that God is doing here amongst us, aren't we? Hasn't there been, wasn't this Easter season just an amazing, fantastic celebration of the goodness of God? Absolutely. You know, I, I don't know exactly the numbers, but do you know last week was the biggest week we've ever had at K2? We have more people here this last weekend than we've ever had before at both of our campuses. And so we're thrilled with all that's going on, and we're really excited about that. We're walking into uh, the opposite way. What do you think of when you think, uh, when you hear the words opposite way, what do you think of? What do you think of, uh, how about this word? When you hear these, these words, counterintuitive, what do you think of? There's this, there's this notion that, that sometimes everything we expect to be right is wrong. There's this idea that what our gut tells us and what our first response is, is, is actually the wrong thing to do. And, and it doesn't always apply, for sure, because then, because then that would be our intuition. So, um, and all of us have different intuitions, but, but there's this notion that, that sometimes what we really think, and even collectively what we think as a group is the right thing to do, is often the wrong thing to do. Now, I'm not a sailor. Um, are there any sailors here? Uh, anybody's a sailor? Okay. Um, uh, I don't mean like Blackbeard the pirate. I just mean, does anybody like to be on a boat? Um, so uh, if you're a sailor, th- there's this thing that once you get out into the water, if a squall kicks up, if a storm kicks up, what is most of us not being a sailor? What's, what's our intuition? If a storm really kicks up and you're just out to sea, what's our intuition? Wow, it's not a good day to sail. Let's turn around and go back. And, and see, if you have experience as a sailor, you know that your first intuition, because they all had it at first, that to go back is actually the right thing. You, 
that that's actually just about the worst thing you can do. That's the most dangerous thing you can do. Because most of the danger, almost all of the danger, happens getting back into harbor. As the waves are breaking, as the rocks are all around. All the danger is there. Out in the open sea where it's just water, there might be a little bit of seasickness. There might be a little bit of rain. But there's not as much danger there. And actually going into it is better than trying to get out of it. How about parenting? Any parents here? All right, some parents here. Um, think about this, and, and this might not be exactly your experience, but, but a lot of us with our, our first child on the way, it's amazing how many of those books we read, right? Like, man, how to be the best parent ever, right? And, and there's a hundred of them, and you read all of them, or at least you claim to. You read the first chapter, and you get a nugget, and so you put them on your shelf, and I know how to be a good parent, and and you really do. You pursue it. You dive in. And, and with that first child, everything you do is going to be right. You buy every piece of the gear, right? And there's plenty of it, right? You have the, the diaper wipe warmer. Did anybody have that? The diaper wipe warmer, right? And the, the trash bin that seals off each diaper individually. And so that in 19 years in the, in the uh, landfill, it will still be sealed perfectly, Right? You have all of those things, and you want to do it perfectly, right down to every, every phase. Like, you're sure of what your child needs between that six and, month, six and eight month period, right? As opposed to that eight and ten month period, as opposed to that 14 and 17 month period. And you know all of those development phases. And, and then, at some point, if you have other kids, you realize that Man, I'm just going to enjoy each moment seeing God, man, develop this amazing child that I have. And that it's not my job to control every moment of their life, but I want to be with them and I want to enjoy it. And somehow your, your firstborn turns out to be very something, rigid and structured or whatever, and your lastborn just loves to be with you. Have you ever noticed that? Maybe that's just my experience. And everything that you thought was the right thing to do at first, you find out that there's, there's actually a, a different way that, that actually is more right than what you thought at first. How many of you know how to ride a bike? How many of you have ever taught someone how to ride a bike? Now, there's incredible fear for some of us in riding a bike, isn't there? As we begin, and you know that some of your kids are different and, or some of the kids, your nieces, nephews, or, or neighbor kids or when you're on that bike and, and you get out the crescent wrench and you take off the training wheels and you're like, all right, Johnny, here we go. And, and all of you have different ways to help somebody, but, but when they sense that they're on their own, what for all of us, when you first sense you were on your own, what, would, what does your intuition tell you about riding a bicycle? What's the safest possible way to ride a bicycle? Slow and cautious right? And you want to go slow, especially if you have to what? If you have to turn. If you turn, you want to go slow, right? And then now that you know how to ride a bike, what do you realize is the most dangerous, worst way to ride a bicycle? Slow. But as you approach it and as you get into it, you think the safest, 
best possible way to learn is slow. And so you ride slow and you fall and you're terrified of riding a bike and you only find out later that the faster you go up to a certain level, the faster you go, the safer it is. And the more the bike balances itself and the more that you ride in harmony with the laws of it. You know what I'm saying? And, and it's the same thing whether you're riding a motorcycle or a Sea-Doo or whatever, and as you turn into the corner, your, your intuition says what? Lean out, counterbalance what you're doing. And what's the truth? You need to lean in. But you only learn that through experience. And what you assume and what you think at first and your, your, your intuition, what it says, ends up being wrong. And so today we're talking about the opposite way because you and I have intuitions. We just do. How many different intuitions are in this room? Take a look around. How many, how many do you think? Some of you have multiple personalities, so there's probably more than there are people. <laughs> we have a lot of intuitions, right? At least as many as there are each of us. Some of you... And some of you grew up and, and you were abused and some of you were raped and some of you, and all of your intuitions are for self-protection. Nobody's going to look out for me. Nobody loves me. Everybody around me is eventually going to hurt me. And all of your intuitions, all of your intuitions they're, they're pretty natural based on what you've experienced. And as we approach God, here's the thing. We take our intuitions towards him. And so we want to look at those. Some of you are brilliant. Some of you are just downright brilliant. And you're brilliant with business and, and you're brilliant with what you do. And, and some of you, some of you, all of your intuitions go to say, if I can't know it, if I can't understand it through and through and through, then it cannot be the truth. If, if I can't know it and spell it out, and if you can't prove it to me, then there's no way it's possible. And I want to encourage you to ask yourself, because it doesn't, I, you need to ask yourself, is it possible that my intuition to ride that bike slow isn't quite right. Some of you are here and you've had to hide. You were raised in church your whole life. And, and you've realized that if, if, if I show up and if I look the part, then maybe I'll eventually be the part. Because I know it's not real in me, and, but these people around, they don't, they don't seem to be having problems. So if I just keep looking the part and kind of put on this act, then maybe it'll eventually come true. Are you tracking with me? We have these different intuitions. And as we approach Jesus, what, what we're going to see in these next few weeks is that he comes in and, and he says, everything you've thought about your approach to God, there's, there's a better way. There's an opposite way. And I want to lead you into it. 
Jesus, uh, the Bible says, it, John calls him the Word. Uh, the revealing. The revelation. The Word from God about who he is. That Jesus incarnate, that means God, God's Son incarnate in, in flesh, in life, in time, in space. That he was the revelation of who God is. That, that there was no accidents about who he was. That he was the revelation to us. He was the message to us. He was the lifeline to us about who God is. Why do you think God needed to send his son to reveal who he was? Because all of our intuitions about who God was, they were off course. And so he sent in his son to reveal who he actually was. Because as we pursue God, all of our intuitions tend to go towards religion. All of our, t- our religions tend to go away from who Jesus revealed God to be. And so he comes in and he is literally the image of the unseen God. We can't see God and Jesus is the image. He's the picture. He is the script. He is the, he is the person of who God is. And that's why he came. He came to show us who God is and to, to buy us for him, to, to redeem us, to pay, to to make a way for us to be with God. And so Jesus comes in and if you were God, just imagine for a moment that you were God. And if you were God and you were sending your son to a group of people who didn't really understand who you were, you made this group of people, you created them, you, you held their life together. They didn't know it half the time and and they were half the time angry at you and half the time completely going in a different direction that you wanted. But, but you wanted to send your son to, to them so that they would know that he was your son and that he would tell them all about you, right? You, you're God and you're sending, you're sending your son to communicate to them about who you are. How would you, how would you send your son? How would you, how would you send him? Uh, if... If you don't know our family, which most of you don't, um, we spent some time in Africa, and our boys went to this school in Africa. And, um, and it wasn't a huge school, but uh, a couple of their classmates were uh, a son and a daughter of the king of that country in, that we lived in, called Swaziland. And, and King's kids there... Um, arrive in a motorcade every day. In fact, King's family everywhere goes everywhere in a motorcade. Not too much different than our country, really. Our president, as his family goes out, I'm sure they go in motorcade. And so every day there would be motorcade and soldiers and all that kind of stuff around these kids. And, um, and so when we would go somewhere, uh, sorry, when the school would go somewhere, like on a field trip or go for play practice at a bigger venue or whatever that motorcade would have to take those kids. Those kids didn't ride in the bus or the van with the rest of the kids. Are you tracking with me? Does that make sense? So that motorcade would go. But, but those kids would have a seat on each side of them in the back, and they could choose a couple extra kids to go with. And so my son, Wyatt, he's my second son, and he's eight years old now, and he's redhead, and he's bubbly, and he's funny, and he's always making jokes, and he's fun to be around. I love being around him. And, uh, and so would you, by the way. Um, 
So this king's daughter loved to have Wyatt and this one other kid with him. And, and every time they would go anywhere, she would ask Wyatt to ride with her in, in her X5, you know, in the back of it. And so, um, so uh, this kills Wyatt's older brother, okay? Wyatt's older brother also goes to the school, and he rides in the bus, you know, with everybody else. And his brother's riding in the king's X5 in the back, you know? And here's, here's the cool part about it. Wyatt has no idea. He came home and he said, he goes, I, I get to ride in this cool bus. I don't know what the deal is with it, but it has video games in the back of the seat. He doesn't know it's the king's bus. He's just, he's just having fun. And if you sent your son to a place, you'd send him by motorcade in an X5. Because that's how we do it. When we esteem our leaders... When we esteem kings and presidents and rock stars, how do we esteem them? We put them in a motorcade. And we put them in cars nicer than ours. And we say, you're great. You're leading us. Right? And God, revealing himself to us, all of our intuitions about the way that he ought to do that, and he sends Jesus. And Jesus is born to some God-hearted people under the, under the suspicion of immorality, under the suspicion of being an illegitimate child, born into a simple home and a simple socioeconomic part of the culture. Not even born at his house, born on the road, without a home, can't find a, a day's in to stay in. And the manager of the day's in says, Well, I, I've got a garage out back, you know, where we keep the lawnmower and the weed whacker and the animals. I, I suppose you can, you can stay there because I don't have anything else to give you. The lobby's full. And, and he's born in a garage. And, and he's attested, he's, the testimony of him comes from the, the least trustworthy people of all of society. He sends in the shepherds, the drunks, those who can't get a real job and hang out with the sheep. He has them testify that this is the king of kings. And all of our intuitions about life, about power, about being right, about being holy, God shatters him on the first day, on the first day of the arrival of his son. And yet you and I somehow, even if we've believed in this Jesus, somehow we forget that that's what we've believed in. And our intuition takes over and we we think of more and more power and more and more right and I'm getting ahead of myself. So God sends his son and his son lives and works a blue collar job in a, in a no-name town like Vernal. Way out in the middle of nowhere. I'm serious. When we came in, we came in through Colorado and we stayed the last night in Rifle and then 
uh, when we were moving here and we came up through Vernal. And um, so that was our entrance into Utah and there's like a picture of a dinosaur and there's like nothing for like a long ways. And I thought, wow, this is interesting. But I'd been here before. So I but but I, I sent out a picture of that and uh, some people here from the church said, why in the world did you have to come in through Vernal? Like that's the worst way to come in through Utah. Come in any way but through that way. Sorry if you're from Vernal. But... But you got to know this, that what they said in Jerusalem is, what in the world good has ever come from Nazareth? That's what they said. He didn't grow up in Salt Lake. He grew up in Vernal. And this isn't by accident. This is the way God introduced who he was to you and to me. So Jesus grows up there and he learns to work with his hands there and he's holy and righteous there and, and as he becomes a man, he steps into speaking, into becoming uh, this one that he was sent here to be, declaring the kingdom of God and he becomes a homeless, itinerant preacher and, and as he starts to get a following and he starts to do stuff... He, he has, a, uh, he has a, a big teaching that is kind of the, the kickoff for his ministry. And this Sermon on the Mount that we have come to call it, um, we're going to spend some time there over the next few weeks. And, and here's what he says as we get started. He says this in Matthew 5. And I want you to, I want you to listen to this. He says, Blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven this is his this is his his big first kind of inaugural entrance into ministry he says blessed are those who are poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
Blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Thank you. What does poor mean? Think in your mind. You don't have to answer out loud. What does it mean to be poor? Come up with a picture of somebody in your mind. When we say those words and when we think that, we typically have a, a physically poor person in mind, don't we? Because that's what the word means. The word means plainly to have great need. It does. It means that, that I have need and know my need and, and that I know that I don't have it in myself. I have need. And, and some of us think of ourselves as poor and we think it enough that we kind of create the circumstances to, to remain that way. And others of us have been ushered into it just circumstances out of control. And, and do we think of poor as something to be esteemed? Do we esteem to being poor? We don't. The Bible would even tell us not to seem to be poor, that we should work hard and save and invest well and, and hand down, literally hand down to our, not only take care of our kids, but hand down inheritance to our kids. And so when, when I come to this, I, I struggle right away because when, when Jesus says, blessed are those who are poor in heaven, and I get stuck on, I get stuck on poor because blessed are those who are poor. I, I end up stopping right there because I, I, I have intuition. I have thoughts already about those four words together, right? And, and poor means poor. It does. It means in great need. It totally dependent on. And some of you have been to the place in life where you decided... I have to ask for help. Maybe you've been poor in your addiction and you have decided the pain is too much. I have, I have to ask for help. And there is this huge step of saying, I need help. And some of you have literally been on the street, living on the street, and you remember that first time you went up to someone and said, and it's almost like a, an out-of-body experience where you heard yourself say, do, do you have any change? Because I'm really hungry. And if you haven't been there, the next time somebody asks you that, can you imagine instead of trying to figure out their motive or whether, can you imagine the first time that they had to say that? And... And so Jesus says, blessed are those who are poor in that way. 
And that's what I'm talking about. It's that. I have to ask for help. Poor. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Because Jesus is here in a completely Jewish context. Coming out of the Old Testament. We're poor. By this time, for all who are listening, poor has, has that idea spiritually. Okay, Isaiah 57 says this. says, the high and lofty one, that is God. God who lives in eternity, the holy one, says this. I live in the high and holy place with those whose spirits are contrite and humble. Those whose spirits are, are poor. Your version might say poor, but literally contrite and humble. I restore the crushed poor spirit of the humble. And revive the courage of those with repentant hearts. Okay? Those who know that they have deep need and they go to him spiritually and say, God, I, I am not rich in and of myself. I, I have need. Okay? So don't lose me in all of this. Literally, our intuition says that what kind of people get to heaven? Our intuition says what kind of people does God love? Good people. People who are good in and of themselves. People who are rich in and of themselves. People who are solid, capable, rich, wealthy. God loves those people. And what God says is the the people who I am with, I'm with them in heaven, are those who are impoverished and have nothing in their spirit. What's the opposite of poor? To be wealthy, to be rich, right? And, and God specifically, do, do you notice that when Jesus comes, that Jesus, if you know the story, if this is your first day, this might be a lot for you, but I hope that it's interesting to you in the sense that it's different from what you expected to hear. Because here's the reality is that when Jesus came in flesh, when God sent his son to reveal who he was here on earth, um, the people that he literally had... the aggressive conversations with, the people that he rebuked, the people that he, that he struggled with greatly were those who thought they were wealthy spiritually, who thought they brought something to God. Those who literally used God's name to, to take care of themselves. And we'll talk about them in a minute. And literally the people that, the people that knew they were poor, that knew that they were devastated, that they came as a beggar to God, that they brought nothing, that they deserved nothing. To them, Jesus says, like he said to the guy next to him on the cross who understood this, he said, today you'll be with me in paradise. In Revelation 3, um, there's a series of churches that the spirit, a series of letters or statements or, or words to the spirit, that the Spirit of God sends to uh, seven churches, and one of those is, is called the Church of Laodicea, and we won't talk about the whole thing, but in, in chapter 317, he says this, the Spirit says to the church, the church is you here, he says, you, the church, you, Laodicea, you say, I am rich. I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. Now, if, if you have a friend who says, I'm rich, I have everything I want, I don't need a thing, what do we do with those folks? We celebrate them. We want to read their book. We want to know how they got there, right? Correct? I have everything I want. My bathroom, everything I want. (laughs) 
And here's what he says. He says, you say you are rich. I have everything I want. But here's what the Spirit says to them. You don't realize that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Don't you realize that you're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked? It's possible for people to gather together at a church to know and esteem the right things and not understand at all the very first thing that Jesus said about coming to him. That you have to come poor, wretched, blind, naked. It's the opposite way. Like we said, nobody wants to be poor. If, if this is offensive to you, and, and this is, this, this offends us. This is the gospel of Jesus. That you and I, um, we are in need. Okay? Some of, you, uh, some of you spend a lot of time um, affirming the things that, that you know to be true, that you want. That, that man, God's made me amazing. And, and I know who I am, and I know what he's made me for. And, and so when... When we say that you have need and you have spiritual need, some of us, that's a really offensive thing to hear. And, and I just, I'm glad, that, I'm glad that you understand that you're offended by that. I'm glad that you understand that, wow, that, that cuts me to the heart. And here's why. Uh, how many of you here are in, uh, in need? How many of you are poor uh, of oxygen? How many of you are, are impoverished of oxygen? It, you, you need it. If, if you don't get it, you'll die. How, how many of you are here are, are impoverished of oxygen? How about, how about food and, and water? Anybody here in need of that? Okay, now, let me just say it this way. You are, you are totally in need of oxygen. Without oxygen, you'll die. Without air to, to breathe in, to come into your lungs, to get put into your bloodstream, to go down through your body to your cells, and to take carbon dioxide out and put it back out into the atmosphere, you will die. You're totally in need of it. You can't produce it at all on your own. You're totally in need of it. Um, how many of you are offended by that? No, we're not offended by that. Because we know that. Now, even if we don't know the exact way that it happens, we know that. But somehow when, when you say to me, I'm poor spiritually, I'm blind, wretched, naked, I, I'm a mess and I'm in desperate need of the love of God to transform me. When you tell me that, I'm like, who, who do you think you are? You don't know me, right? And all my defenses come up. And, and I have all of these reasons and all these stories to, to affirm why I'm good. And so if you're here and, and this sounds offensive, then I just want to encourage you to say, could it be that my intuition is wrong? Could it be that my thought that, that who, who I've thought I had to be, that, that I'm, I'm not poor spiritually, that, that I have everything I need inside of me, could it be that that intuition is wrong? I want to encourage you to think about it. Because, because Jesus takes us in the opposite way. Uh, Matthew 18 says this. It says that the heart of the poor is humble. It says, at that time the disciples came to Jesus and they asked, 
who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And this is what Jesus said to them. He called a little child to him and had him stand among them. And he said to them, I tell you the truth, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus says over and over, what it is to be poor in spirit is to be humble, to know my need and to come to God and say, God, I have need of you. I, I don't bring it in, in and of myself. I have, I have need. Okay? Um, going even further with that uh, into Matthew 23, uh, we fast forward really to his conversation with the, the Pharisees. And, and literally, the Pharisees over and over came to Jesus, convinced that they were right, trying to prove him wrong. And, and here's what he says in, in chapter 23. He says, Forever, Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You shut the kingdom of heaven in men's faces, and you yourselves do not enter, nor will you let in nor will you let those enter who are trying to. Literally, he says to the people just before this, he says, listen to what they're saying because these people, they're talking God's word. So listen to the words they're saying, but don't follow their example. He says, because they don't believe it. They believe that they are rich spiritually. They believe that by what they do, that they're in. How many of you, let's just play this out in your own life. How many of you in, in your walk with Jesus. Let's say you're already a believer in him and you've been spending some time with him. And how many of you feel like God loves you more on a really good day? You have a really good day with Jesus. You start the day with him. You're nice to your kids and you feel like God loves you more. You just do. Every one of you probably could raise your hand. And if you can't raise your hand today, at some point in your, in your walk with Jesus, you felt that way. Like God loves me more when I perform well. And when I struggle and when I looked at pornography the night before and I had a fight with my wife and, and I spent too much or I binged on food or I, and I just tore apart my friend at work and I flipped somebody off on the way to church and um, like God doesn't love me as much. And, and all of those things aren't anything to be esteemed. And at the same time, somehow, he, here's the problem. Uh, because church, here's what we do. We, we come to Jesus and we say, we say that um, we know we come poor. And then the longer we spend with Jesus, the more we think we used to be poor and now we're, we're right. And, and sometimes, sometimes Christians, and of course not you, um, but sometimes Christians, and definitely not me, sometimes Christians are the rightest, most arrogant, proud, not poor of spirit people on the planet. Because we know it's right that Jesus loves us and he died for our sins. And we know the morals he called us to and I know where I'm good and I don't talk about where I'm not good. And so, and I think that poor in spirit is something that was for me over here when I started and now I'm proud in spirit. And so if you're here and you're a Christian, here's, what I do. here's the intuition that I want to, I want to leave you with this. Because we're going we're to talk about this for weeks. 
and, and I'm assuming you're going to be back to kind of go through this, but, but could it be that the longer you spend with Jesus, the, the more time you walk with him, that the more you go with Jesus in his opposite way, could it be that the further down that road you get, the more humble and broken and quick to say, I'm wrong, that you are? Could it be that you don't get righter and righter? Could it be that you get more and more amazed by the grace of God for someone even like me? And Jesus says, the poor in spirit, theirs is the kingdom. The kingdom of God is wherever he's king. And, and, and I believe that the, the farther we walk this way into that humility, not increasing in like road rage, not, not increasing in those things that we just talked about, not increasing in those, but the more broken I become and the more in awe of the forgiveness I the, the farther I go this way, the more humble I am and, and the further I walk into that, um, the, more, the more approachable and like Jesus I am. The more that people around me who don't know Jesus yet are attracted to the life and the holiness and the weird mix of openness and love that I have for people who are totally different than me and, and yet they know that I love them deeply and I'm deeply humble about, about the fact that I'm, there's nothing good in me that I'm impoverished spiritually and God has brought it all, but they see, they see Jesus and holiness in me. Could it be that while I'm still over there, could it be that the farther I get here that, that Jesus does something like that in me? So that's for those of you who are believers. And if you're here and you are, and you're not a Christian yet, again, I, I want to thank you. And, and I just, I want to leave you with this. Could it be that, that your intuition about, about everything, whether it's that you need to protect yourself or there's no way there's a God loves me because that wouldn't have happened. Um, that person wouldn't have died. This wouldn't have happened to me if there was really a God who loves me or, or maybe you're the, you're the one who knows everything and, and you, and I don't mean that in a bad way, I just mean that you have to know it in order to believe it. Could it be that your intuition is wrong? Could it be that what you have, have based a lot of your thought and action and belief on is is actually incorrect? And could it be that there's an opposite way and there is a God who loves you and pursues you? And as we come to him and say, God, I, I don't have it. I don't have oxygen. I need oxygen. I don't have water. I, I need water. I, I, I need you. Because I know you made me. Here's the truth is that God made you. God made you in his image. You are a thing of beauty, each one of you. And you have all of these intuitions and stories and lies that keep you from walking in to the amazing person that God made you to be. And could it be that, could it be that there's an opposite way um, from the way you've been walking? And that in it is God's love and, and all that he has for you. And we want to invite you into that. As the worship team comes forward, um, 
They're going to lead us, and, and we're going to continue. Because to you, God, our hearts are open. And that's really what I want to pray, is that our hearts would be open to God's way. That it wouldn't be closed to, to my way. That it would be open to God's way. That there would be nothing hidden. There would be nothing hidden from him that, that we would say, God, I come to you poor, and, and God, would, would you give me what I need? Would you pray with me? Jesus, as we come to you, we thank you that you loved us, and we thank you that, that you revealed who you are to us. And God, it blows us away time and time and time and time again that you came the way you did and that you love me. And God, I know you've made me for amazing things. And I know you've made each one of my friends here for amazing things. You created them and you put your, your gifts and your creativity and your beauty and your image in them. And God, I know you love them far more than they even love themselves. And God, would you through your spirit, would you call us deeper? Would you call us further into the opposite way? of following you. Would you call us into the good, amazing things that you have for us?